0: Hello, wonderful humans. Welcome back to the TFC Audio Project. In light of the times we're living in and the struggle in making sense of our confusing world, we've created a new show called Critical Conversations. This show is all about putting controversial topics and complex topics through the filter of critical thinking. And we feel that these long form nuanced conversations are critical to have if we want to solve problems and move into a better future. On this first episode of Critical Conversations, I talk with Jane Nara. Jay and I talk about the concept of critical thinking and how our ability to think deeply is what separates humans from the rest of the animal kingdom. We discuss the effect that social media is having on our culture, and we touch on the topics of privilege and masks briefly at the end of the episode. Definitely plan to have Jay on again in the future, and I really enjoyed the conversation. This episode is sponsored by TFC Shop, your one-stop online store for balance beams, natural footwear, and foot health accessories. If you visit tfc-shop.com, you can check out our growing selection of products that we offer that help you live a more natural life. This episode of the show is also brought to you by Metrolife. Most of the time we spend looking at our phones, we're distracted. And the very thing that connects us with the world has become a major source of disconnect from it and from ourselves. The Metrolife mobile app helps you build self-awareness and understanding to reconnect you with yourself and with your ability to live more consciously. The app helps you track your lifestyle metrics, your daily activities, and helps facilitate purposeful journaling where you can measure, manage, reflect, adjust, and take action. MetroLife is your vehicle for change, and it's available to download by searching MetroLife on your mobile device, M-E-T-R-I-L-I-F-E. Lastly, this episode of the podcast is sponsored by The Roasters Pack. If you're into coffee, this company offers a great subscription service that delivers you fresh beans to your door each month, along with the story behind each of the craft roasters that the beans come from. If you check out theroasterspack.com, use the code FOOT at checkout, you'll get seven bucks off your first month. That's it for sponsors, so let's dig into this episode. Hope you enjoy. It's the TFC Audio Project. Hello, wonderful humans. Nick here for our first official episode of Critical Conversations. And my guest today is a really fitting one for this show. He's a deep thinker and someone that I always look forward to having conceptual and philosophical conversations with. Although I feel like the uh, the much lesser equipped <laughs> to have those conversations, but it's always great speaking to someone who's well versed. Uh, today I'm chatting with Jay Nera. So Jay, welcome back to the Audio Project. Hi, thanks for having me. No worries, man. Always a pleasure chatting. So, um, you know, Jay was on the podcast a while back, but for for someone who's listening to this and didn't listen to the first one, maybe give the Coles notes of who you are and the background of what brought you kind of to where you are today, just so they have some context as to what you're all about.
1: Uh, basically just start, started out with a lot of athletics as a young guy. I'm from here in Ottawa. Uh, my, my journey always started with athletics. That was my my mode of evolution was just through sport, you know, basketball, football, mm-hmm. and then I got into bobsleigh and then powerlifting And then I realized how much I enjoyed helping people change their lives. So I got into personal training, which is a very common one for a lot of meatheads out there. (laughs) And uh, I opened up a CrossFit gym. So I have a CrossFit gym and a a powerlifting club, Dynamo Barbell. And then after a while, I kind of realized that one of the more satisfying things was the changes that happen as a result of the physical changes, right? Mm -hmm. Like we always see the rest of people's lives change, right? So I started thinking about you know, scaling up in a different way. And uh, that's when I started creating my app Metro Life, which is about, you know, teaching people the behaviors and all the associations uh, around those behaviors so that they can start manipulating their outcomes for, you know, happier, healthier living. Cool. Um, And then I also created a book called Sisyphus is Smiling Stems Journaling. Same idea, just trying to get people to start using their brains a little bit. And now we're working on men's courses, which are uh, geared towards perpetual personal evolution. Amazing. And it's also a, like a men's support group in a way. So that's starting up very soon. But basically who I am, it's uh, I'm a person who uh, is really just trying to scale up different ways to have an impact and uh, because it feels good to help people shift their lives. Yes. And that is, that is something that I know you agree with. And it's weird to say, sometimes it sounds cliche to say those things, but that's really what I'm doing right now.
0: Yeah. And I've sort of released the, the notion of cliches. If you truly believe in what you're saying and you're actually doing it, uh, I I don't think it's really, I should almost look up the definition of cliche, but yeah, it, you're actually walking the walk. And I think you're one of the few people who, um, you know, like way back when at the shout out to the YMCA group, um, <clears throat> You know, you'd see you trap, trap deadlift, trap or deadlifting like five plates. And I think the assumption when you look at someone that's very muscular is most of their energy, life energy is spent working in the gym. Um, When did you start to grasp onto like deeper thinking or looking into philosophy? Because I know that that's part of your sort of... um, identity and when when did that become something of interest because that's probably more relevant to today's conversation
1: yeah I think I think martial arts really kind of like Bruce Lee like really shifted everything and I was into martial arts when I was I think I watched blood sport when I was like would have been seven or eight years old and that <laughs> just then enter the dragon and then all of a sudden I was hooked on martial arts and that really just kind of like it just got you into like the Tao of Jeet Kundo, right, right. And it just everything kind of ripples from there And it's always like the mind, the mind, the mind, the mind is the most important muscle, you know? Cool. And, uh, so it it went from there. I I always had like this attitude of learning and I've always been interested in things outside of school and it actually like happened to my detriment Mm -hmm. when I was at Western. Oh yeah. We both went to Western. Very cool. Uh, when I was at Western, I was taking an economics class and I asked my professor a question and he couldn't really answer it properly. It was my, my macroeconomics class and, uh, he basically just answered, like I was pointing out, like a huge contradiction in like government spending and inflation and all these things. <laughs> and uh, he basically just said, oh, well, in Keynesian economics, you know, in the long run, we'll all be dead.
0: And <laughs> That's I was a just, terrible answer. I was like,
1: that's that's not an answer. But everyone in the class is just like, oh, OK, like and everyone's just kind of like blindly going along. And I went home and I called my dad. I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I, I want to leave. Good I literally you. wanted to quit. Second year. I'm like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to study this. I want to be a firefighter this just is not going to be rewarding for me. I hate this. And then what happened was from that, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking this system is broken. This mm-hmm. doesn't make sense.
0: And this was a while ago. So you're were yeah, yeah, I was okay. 20,
1: 20 years old here. And I'm like, this, this is a complete, like, this is, this is messed up. So I'm looking for something else and you're, you're only going to know what you're exposed to. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was exposed to Che Guevara Ah. So I got my hands on this book ca- called A Revolutionary Life by John Lee Anderson, which is like this huge 600, 700 page book. And it's the biography from birth to death of Che Guevara, hmm. Ernesto Guevara. And he took journals his whole life. Like he he, caught, he wrote in a journal his entire life. So this guy knows all the things he was thinking, all the things he
0: read, like right. everything. You basically, and it's a portal to his mind
1: yeah and you've seen the weldon library yeah. western right so i literally read every single book in that second year of university that Che Guevara ever read. Or
0: at least you got some value for your like, money. <laughs> like they were
1: recalling books. Like they were literally recalling books that they had to dig up from like storage. Wow. Like uh, La Historia Mi Obso by Fidel Castro. It's one of his speeches. Like mm-hmm. they had to dig that up for me. <laughs> nice. And then I even went as deep as reading like Pablo Neruda, uh, which is poetry because huh. that was his favorite poet. Um, so you just exposed yourself intensely, I went in it hard. Like yeah. like every Karl Marx book, like you can think of Lenin, Mao. Not every Mao, but like a lot of stuff. I, I really dove in. I was very hardcore. I started going to classes by uh, Anton Alahar. He's a professor of uh, he's a sociology professor professor, and uh, I started going to his classes for richer or poorer. Cool. And uh, he did his thesis on the Cuban revolution. Nice. So that's why I like that. But the point is, I like went and studied more stuff that had nothing to do with what I was paying. Right. <laughs> <laughs> to do. Right. And I was becoming more and more hardcore, like Marxist, pretty much. Right. And uh, so that carried with me, and it's because that's all I was exposed to.
0: Now, how would you it's define, like, just as a little snippet, for people who don't have a context for understanding what Marxist is, in a very short, condensed form, how would you describe that? Uh,
1: yeah. Diplomatically, I would just say uh, collectivism. Okay. Just say if okay. S- socialism, collectivism, communism, um, for the greater good. Okay.
0: Which at its surface is... It's great. A good Otherwise notion. On
1: surface, it sounds very romantic. Yes. Right? The whole world uniting everyone together, you know, let's all take care of one another.
0: And I think this is a very relevant thread for right now because the romanticism of a lot of things that determine people's direction of where they're putting their energy can be well-intentioned. Like well-intentioned people can do th- silly things if they're not exposed to a broader perspective of seeing, oh, well, I thought this was really good. It sounds really good. But actually in the greater context, this is actually counterproductive. So we'll get into that.
1: Yeah. That's like a huge, like, yeah, even just emotions versus thinking. Yes. Right. Because our emotions are always, I like to believe that most of our emotions, even like anger and everything come from wanting to be loved or wanting to love.
0: Yeah. Right. Wanting to do good, be good.
1: Yeah. Like we're, I I believe we're mostly benevolent human beings. Yes. At
0: heart. Well, I love E.O. Wilson's quote where he says, we have prehistoric emotions medieval institutions and godlike technology that's cool and it's a perfect shitstorm of of really misdirecting our limbic our little lizard brain towards what we think is good but when you have technology that essentially hacks and throws a, a a wrench into the whole equation uh it can result in in a lot of misdirected energy that's my favorite word lately because it doesn't say it's bad it's just misdirected efforts where people think they're doing good things. Well, well-intentioned people think they're doing good things and we're seeing a breakdown of sense, making a breakdown of converse. The art of conversation is completely lost yeah. now. Um, and so, you know, I wanted to, and I know you're going to take this in a different direction, but thank you for that intro. But I wanted to start by talking about just quickly why, why the term critical conversations I think is an important one moving forward. You wanna yeah, say yeah.
1: So, yeah. So I was just going to say, so where that all came from though is right. so I left Western as a very hardcore Marxist communist etc yep and then around 26 I was in chapters okay and I saw this book called the virtue of selfishness okay by Ayn Rand yes and I looked at it and I was like what the hell is that that sounds crazy like how <laughs> could someone write a book on that they, they must be like a Satanist or something right right and uh, and I had kind of heard a little bit about Satanism so I was like oh this is interesting so it's a $15 book you know, it was maybe 150 pages, like a thin, small book. So I'm yep. like, okay, I'll check this out. So I buy it, I pull it out. Like I couldn't sleep that night. I pulled it out at like maybe 1145. I was up until like three in the morning reading that thing. <laughs> because after the first chapter, I was just like, this is amazing. Like everything this person is writing about the way she explains everything is that everything must be logical. Everything must make sense. There can't be contradictions. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, this, this is exactly why I hated economics. Ah. I'm like, what else does she have to say? Like she says, and she says one of the, I think it was in chapter one or two. Uh, I think it was a chapter on ethics. But she's talking about humans and what makes humans different is our consciousness. We are conscious beings, uh, all animals, like all these different species, we all have different weapons for survival, right? The lion has his like these big claws, these big jaws, he's extremely agile and powerful. The bear has all this size, this extra fat and like super strength, you know, it's birds have wings, like they all, everything has these different weapons, which are right. just tools for survival. It's what they use to
0: survive. Yeah. It's their adaptations that were selected for. Yeah. And time. look
1: at us. We're these, like in comparison to animals, we are these, we don't have hair. We're weak. (laughs) We're weak. We can't survive without like materials. Right. Right. Like if we were outside, we'd be freezing overnight. Yep. Right. And we don't have any tools on our bodies to fight
0: anything. We need to be protected when we're young for a hugely long time where we're completely dependent on our parents to allow us to survive. Like we're not. Yeah. That's a great point. Pathetic.
1: We're pathetic. Basically, we're born into this world like weak and naked and incapable of survival.
0: But we got a good superpower. Our brains are
1: amazing. Yeah, our consciousness is literally what sets us apart. Our consciousness is our means of survival. Mm -hmm. Our ability to conceptualize things.
0: And look how powerful that is. Because look where we are in the higher in the you know perceived hierarchy of the animal kingdom. We are the apex. Yeah,
1: and and like like. Like we can look at something and we could we could tell a dog to go to the car or tell a dog to go get a ball. Right. But you can't tell a dog, go to the ball, jump five times, turn around in two circles and come back. But I can tell you to do that.
0: Right. Right. You can tell a seven year old to do that.
1: Right. And a dog doesn't know the difference between like how to higher conceptualize from say like a piece of wood becomes a chair. A chair is a piece of furniture. A furniture sits in a house. People who live in a house is a home. A home is in a neighborhood. A neighborhood is in a city. You know what I mean? These are concepts on top of concepts and that's how we build knowledge. And that is what makes us so incredible. Right. So anyway, long story short, what got my shift into critical thinking? It was the virtue of selfishness by Ayn Rand Hmm. because in that book, she started saying, You know about this means of survival. Like our consciousness is the tool, and then she says, "But we don't use it. (laughs) We're 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 stupid. Like we." She doesn't say it like that, right? Right. But essentially, she's like, "You take a bear, and the bear goes to a bush and eats some berries, and those berries make it sick. The bear will never eat those berries again. Right. Just stay away from them. It it knows. Mm -hmm. You take a plant, something like with." really no brain comparable to like a bear Mm -hmm. and the roots grow towards the water and the, the stems and everything grow towards the sunlight. Yes. It doesn't have to be told. It just does it. It acts in accordance with its own survival. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Humans do not act in accordance with their own survival
0: or their own biology
1: even now. Yeah. And it's because we have this consciousness, which allows us to make choices to act against ourselves. Mm -hmm right but at the same time if you use it in the right direction then like you're saying it's like this crazy power it's a it's a superpower yeah it's either for some people it's a superpower for some people it's a detriment
0: it's a superpower that's available to everyone but not being used by very many people right and obviously having the ability to consciously overcome our primal instincts is probably good right we're not tribally fighting against each other we're not Um, like basically killing each other or preying on weaker people, but we're also not really directing that superpower in the right direction. Right. And there just needs to be sort of, I think critical thinking provides sort of this realignment of you have the superpower it's available to you if you're willing to put in the work to access it, but you have to make sure you're using it in accordance with logic and reason. And, you know, I find it very interesting because you came from the concept context of marxism and um almost like communism and then you essentially leaned into a book that would you say it's the complete opposite perspective
1: yeah yeah will, that, see, that's very
0: interesting because i think most people we have a tendency to want to reinforce our own schema right like you identified as someone a collective good um unselfish all this kind of this kind of ideology and yet you leaned into something that was a total different perspective and i think the more diversity of perspectives you see, the more immune you become to bias. And I think, um, you know, today, I don't think very many people are reading books. The way that they consume their information is through a social media feed, which is actually algorithmically reinforced to show you your perspective, to dig you deeper into the people who think like you. And so we don't even have that broadening of perspectives to have context to be like, okay, this is one side, this is the other side. Now I got to find where my lived experience fits in terms of how I want to make sense of all this. Most people are not being exposed to both sides. And so I think that's part of where we're getting so much craziness going on is people are unwilling or just simply not exposed to the other side. It instantly brings up a wall of that's not my tribe.
1: Yeah. And and, and the thing that, the thing that I really would want to hammer home in this conversation is the concept of responsibility. Yeah. Like, cause you're saying people are not exposed to, and to me, it's like, screw that. You have to expose yourself to it. It's your brain. It's your consciousness. This is your headspace. It's the only place where you are always going to live Mm -hmm. is your own mind. Like that's yours. Guard that shit. Yes. You know what I mean? That's the Holy grail. If people are throwing stuff at you, take the extra step. You know, and if people are if people are like you look at the news and you look at all the stuff said about Trump, for example, I am not a Trump supporter, but I am a truth supporter. Yeah. So I look at all of these things that are said about Trump and then I go look up the speech and I see what Trump said himself. I'm like, he didn't say that. You guys <laughs> took this completely out of context. Like oh. He literally did not say any of that right right or you look at like a study on something whether it's like masks or hydroxychloroquine or whatever and look it up for yourself right you know like you look up at, you look up these studies on hydroxychloroquine queen right now like instead of look like take that extra step there's an article out here it says hydroxychloroquine is dangerous blah 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 and it's like okay let's look up this study I just looked up this recovery study the other day It's called recovery like that was the name of the study and they're saying it's dangerous, but you look up the dosages that they're giving people. It's like, if I was to take hydroxychloroquine for uh, malaria, they would give me 13 milligrams per kilogram body weight. Let's just say a hundred kilograms body weight mm-hmm. uh, to make it simple. So it's like 1300, right? Mm-hmm. And then six, six milligram per kilogram. So it's another 600 and that's on the first 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And then uh every day after that it would just be like six or 6.5 i can't remember the numbers exactly
0: right uh, but there's a dose
1: schedule there's a dose schedule and then you look at the one in the study and they're giving 2400 milligrams
0: to everyone <laughs> tylenol like, is also really dangerous if you take a whole bottle at yeah, a time it's,
1: and it's just like guys we can't use the study i'm sorry like you're completely ignoring any like concept of hormesis when it comes to like <laughs> chemicals going in your body you know what I mean like
0: but you're asking people to do work Jay
1: I know this but, is the problem but but that's the thing and and at this and this same thing like if I if I talk about it on Instagram or I try and show it my like I posted something yesterday and my DMs blew up with people like oh you shouldn't be posting that it's misinformation da, da, right. da. I'm like who's misinformation
0: Exactly like, who's, I looked from it whose up. perspective <laughs> I looked it up I,
1: I saw I saw like first degree like you know like right. I looked it up myself I went to the source Yeah so it's it's yeah. just it's just that that responsibility of making choosing your positions based on what you know versus what other people are are allowing you to know
0: and i think there's there's layers right like i think the average person and i've definitely been guilty of this in the past is okay i want to i want to understand okay this research study said this let's look into it most people take step one which is actually maybe they take step one or it's like obtain the study very few people actually read the study Their eyeballs go straight to the abstract and the results or conclusion. And they don't actually look at, like, for example, the dose schedule. If they come up to the conclusion that hydroxychloroquine is a dangerous drug, according to this study, but they do nothing to look at the dose schedule that was given or even compare that to a baseline, which in this case would have been malaria dose schedule, then, I mean, that's a lot of layers, right? Like you have to, number one, have the capacities to be able to evaluate at even a basic level research methodology, and be able to put it into a bigger picture. And I just think, I know when I went to school, even in physio school doing a master's degree, nothing about critical thinking or nothing, like they taught the really dry stuff with methodology, but they didn't give it enough context to make us interested. And I think that's where a lot of these firestorms of arguments are coming from, is like everyone has their own data set. And the accuracy of everyone's data set is to a varying degree. Some people is just like, I heard this on the news, which by the way, news or facebook probably not the most valid source of information (laughs) like you have to say that um and i think a lot of people you know whether it's just like a blurb or an abstract that's as deep as they go and and i have this argument frequently with my mom she has a certain source of information i have certain sources of information we are in constant argument You know, we just don't talk about things.
1: Uh, (laughs) We just put
0: it off the table to to just enjoy our time together instead of just debating. Because if the data sets are different, you're never going to find agreement. You have to agree on the tools of how you obtain the data, share each other's data, put it through a filter where you're both open minded enough and have good faith to try and understand what is your data. Here's mine. I want to make sure I have the right data. So what what do you have? No one's having those conversations, mostly because social media is not friendly to those conversations. It's not the right medium. Um, but I think another big part is like culturally, we don't value putting things through a rigor, a rigorous process of evaluation. It's simply just I heard this. So this is my truth. Right. Right. And that's a big problem.
1: And, and, and you're saying something that I wanted to get to later. Like, I know I said I want to talk about critical thinking in two aspects like consciousness and philosophically. Mm-hmm. And philosophically, like, there's philosophically, it's like people, there's two types of people, okay? Mm-hmm. There's people who take positions. And then form their opinions, or sorry, find the evidence and the reasoning behind that position, which right.
0: is the majority of people. So business. people who look for confirmation of their position. Yeah, they look, they,
1: yeah, exactly. And they dismiss, like. Right. And and then there's people who look at the evidence and then form their opinions based off of the evidence and logical reasoning, et cetera. Yes. Right. So when people say your truth or my truth, I never really understand that because truth, like if we just define truth. Objective statement, truth. If we just say truth, yeah, objective truth, like it is conforming to reality. Right. Like literally that's that's the easiest way to, to define it. It's just conforming to reality. It's not arguing with reality. Two plus two equals four, right? And when people are thinking my truth, your truth, it's like, yes, these are perspectives, but that's just with the knowledge that you know and that's just with the knowledge that I know. It's not yeah. an objective truth. Right. And I like to think of conversations As like, if you picture a ball in between, like we're standing across from each other right now and you picture a ball in between us Mm -hmm. and and it's like a ball of clay, we can mold it. And we are trying to mold it into what the truth is. And you have have things that you know and I have things that I know and we have to decide if it fits. Mm -hmm. If there is a contradiction somewhere, like let's say you say something that would dismiss this whole ball of like this truth. Mm -hmm. You say something that just shows many contradictions, well, we have to look at this and we have to think, okay, so either this evidence I'm introducing is false, right? Or we have to rethink our premise, Mm -hmm. right? Because anytime you run into a contradiction, you should recheck your premise, Mm -hmm. or maybe we need to reframe our premise, right? There's something that needs to change. It's either dismiss it altogether or figure out what went wrong. Right. It's not attack each other. Yes. It's figure out what went wrong.
0: This is where this good faith thing comes in. Like good faith to me means going into a conversation with the intention of coming to a mutually acceptable agreement on, on what premise you're debating, right? You don't have to agree on everything, but you have to agree on almost like a a covenant for how that conversation will happen, right? No, no logical fallacies, trying to see the other person's perspective, all these things, right? These rules of engagement that I think Uh, shouldn't like, you would think that a conversation, we would know these basic elements, but I think that's now gone. And the, you know, we had to do this with our funder community where we were debating topics and there was no rules of engagement set out. So it was almost turning into a little bit of craziness. Um, and so we created this sort of version one point of this covenant of agreements of how we have discussions. And it's weird that you have to create that, but it's necessary today.
1: Yeah. It's highly necessary because people are going to disagree on some of the, the weirdest things, like one of the things that I run into a lot and it's very frustrating is people who actually just don't believe in truth or knowledge, right? It's okay. re- i it,
0: I've heard this before. It's a white truth is a white construct. Sure. That is the most toxic shit like, I've ever heard like, in my I, life. I just don't
1: understand. But it's like, it's like, what do you mean? Like, like, it's the kind of people who would say like, there is, there is no such thing as truth. Right, right. I made a post about that. I don't know if you saw it. It's like, there's no such thing as truth. It's like, well, is that true? <laughs> there are no absolutes. Yep. Do you mean that? Absolutely.
0: Yeah, you know right, right, mean? right. Like,
1: right. like uh, everything is relative. Well, is that relative? You know, what right. I, like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, like all these kind of things. It's like, like, these things are self invalidating and you're saying them and you're using it to dismiss my valid arguments. Right. Because you're uncomfortable with them and you're not willing to accept them or they change your position. They force you to have to change your position. And like, I'm sorry, like, like people, the one I like, I hate so much. Like this despises me is when people say things like you think you're always right or you're right all of the time. I know. Right. It's like, what do you think it's like to be right all of the time? And I don't mean like I am absolutely 100% always right. But what if I always know that the only reason I have this opinion is because it is based off of all of this evidence and logical reasoning. Right. And it all makes sense. And there's no contradictions. And I'm pointing out a contradiction that you have. And your response is you think you're right all the time. It's like, what the hell are you talking about? Right. I just explained this all to you. If you want to say I'm wrong, then you have to point out where I'm wrong.
0: I get this a lot, especially people in my own family. It's frustrating. And,
1: And that's, and that's all I think when they say that it's like, oh, they're so mad at me because it's like, I always think I'm right. But it's like, really, what do you think it feels like to be saying something? It's like literally like saying, okay, here's my math equation, right? Here's all the steps on my math equation. So this is what X equals. Right. So if you disagree with me, I'm happy to see where the fault is. Right. But you have to show me, don't just, don't just prance around.
0: This is what I've started to do. I've started to ask people when they say that is what was your, okay, what was your path of inquiry? What was your process for discovering the perspective that you currently have? And then this bugs me even more than what you said. Well, why do we need something? Why do we need research for everything? Why do I need to have um why do i need to prove to you that i'm not wrong it's like that's how this works this is how we have a conversation like, <laughs> if imagine, we can't agree on that i don't think we should be talking
1: that's why imagine imagine someone did that in like debate club like
0: oh uh, yeah why do i have to prove to you that i'm like, right like national finals. that's why we're here <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't need, I don't need uh, to say anything yeah and i mean those uh, it's one of those things where it's like you don't want to personally Uh, Just dismiss the person because it's easy to be like, oh, my God, this person has no understanding of a a path of inquiry that uses real tools like they haven't actually worked to figure something out. They just have this perspective and they're upset that it's you're countering it or you're dismissing it because some of their assumptions are just whack or Facebook told them most of their base assumptions or something like that. And it's not. It's not to um, look down on them, but it's to try and respectfully remind them that there is a deeper process of inquiry when you're trying to figure out, like now is maybe the hardest time ever to figure out the truth. Like, yeah, you know, 1984, if you compare 1984 with Orwell and Brave New World with Aldous Huxley, Orwell was afraid that people would be hiding the books. Aldous Huxley was afraid that no one would be reading books anymore, right? Orwell was afraid that the truth would be hidden. Huxley was afraid that there would be so much crap floating around, it would be impossible to find the truth. And I think that's yeah. that brave new world is where we are, right? The strategy is to distract people away from how important things get buried under a mountain of bullshit. So people just literally say, well, what's the point? Yeah, there needs to be a point. Otherwise, we're we're going to go down a really shitty path. Yeah. So it's almost like it's overwhelming, right? If you don't have the bandwidth or you don't have the the, the tool belt to be able to know how to evaluate information deeper than just mainstream media, it can, I can see their frustration because they're having troubles. You know, they're making sense of the world based on their media outlets and you're just shattering their perspective or completely negating something that, that they've formed an identity around. Of course, they're going to be upset. But part of that tool belt is being objective enough to not be upset until you've actually seen the evidence. Yeah. And being open-minded to changing your perspective when better information comes. And that's, it seems like that's not a very big perspective taken by people who are just, this is my, this is what I saw. This is what I've talked to 10 people that felt the same way. Did you find those people because they thought that way? Did those people have a path of inquiry? Yeah. So it's, it's it's, it's tough.
1: It's, it's, it's very difficult. And, (laughs) And I can definitely empathize with some of that stuff because... Even throughout this whole pandemic, my positions have shifted around. Same with me. I haven't been stuck in this one place where it's like, oh, this is like, I have a natural tendency to question all traditions and to be skeptical of things. Yes. But I'm conscious of it. I'm Mm -hmm. aware of it. So it forces me to stay grounded and be a little bit more objective about things.
0: And it's process based skepticism. It's not just like discounting everything. Oh, all science is biased. It's like it's logical skepticism i yeah. think there's a difference there
1: yeah but but i i and and i'm doing it like admitting it i have a tendency to if someone if someone outright just comes out and says their reason for being right or something is because they're a doctor
0: oh that's the worst
1: i automatically think this person's a friggin idiot and he has no idea what he's talking <laughs> about because if he had a reason to say what he's saying, then he would say the reason he wouldn't say, well, I'm a doctor.
0: Right. The appeal to authority bullshit is like, it's deeply ingrained in our way of doing institutions. Right. Like we still run a broadcast. I speak the truth. You absorb that way of teaching. Right. Like we still have like a encyclopedia way of teaching where these are the knowers, they teach the learners. Whereas like the broadcast medium of teaching is completely broken. Right. Like, Instead of the encyclopedia version, let's do the Wikipedia version where everyone puts their shit into a blender and we all agree on the fundamental tools and we figure out what the truth is and we update it frequently. Yeah. Instead of just like, this is the book, learn from the book. That's basically what someone's saying. I paid a shitload of money to get a piece of paper and I learned from the people who know. So now I know. That's, and, you only,
1: and you only know what they know.
0: And you only know what they know. And it turns out what they know is actually not even very good to even let you be a doctor very well. Yeah. We have to be open-minded to seeing that perspective. I know it hurts to think that you paid a shitload of money to get a paper to think that you paid to to learn the truth. This is part of like, it's this very fundamental problem. And so many of the pillars, right? Like economics, health, how do we engineer social structures so that we can have a sense-making structure that is not depend that is not centralized. It's, it's a deep hole to go down. It's It's very interesting to learn about. Tons. But... So, I mean, I mean, long and short of why why Critical Conversation was, a, a I think, an important title is, number one, all of these shows are going to put very controversial, quote-unquote controversial topics through the lens, through the filter of critical thinking. So actually apply some rigor to evaluating them and try and make sense of the confusion. But number two, critical can also mean very important. And I seriously think that the podcast medium where you apply critical thinking skills to topics... Um, in a time where people are literally afraid to speak candidly because they think they're going to get burned. Right. There's like literally a mob on the hunt for anyone that's not confirming their perspective. And I think this is the antidote to it where we actually have intellectually backed conversations where there's intellectual effort that has gone into understanding these things.
1: Yeah. And the thing is the more, the more you search and the more you find truth, like the more you can actually validate your positions on things, the easier it is to have integrity with it. Yeah. I, I would actually rephrase that and say the harder it is to, to not keep your integrity. Cause then if someone says something, it's harder for you to agree with it if it's false. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, so it's easier to just stand your ground and simply say, well, I, I don't believe that. Right. Right. Because I found this evidence, da da da, And then you start noticing, Oh, maybe, maybe a lot of other people aren't necessarily, you know, doing their own due diligence for mm-hmm. their, brains
0: right um it's almost like there should be a an understanding of in order to come to the table and have a conversation this is what you have to have done this is the expectation yeah otherwise it's just otherwise it's just me teaching you how to get the information and it's not i'd rather be getting my own information right like energy is a finite resource i shouldn't have to spend all my energy teaching you how to find better information we need to sort of have a medium to learn how to do that and then bring all the information we have to a collective table where we can have generative conversations to actually like make each other better. Right. Like when you and me discuss something we disagree on, both of us are going to gain from that. If we come in with the mindset of, well, Jay's got some really good information that I want to understand, especially if it, if it goes against my perspective. So I'm going to gain from this conversation. Whereas most people it's just, well, he has a perspective that disagrees with me. So I got to go in there and prove him why he's wrong. Yeah. And, and it's a complete mindset and, and I think, And
1: I think like when we talk about this is, is a lot of things have to just do with being conscious of these things. Right. Uh, like I try to be conscious of the things that I am good at and the things I am not good at in communicating because I have a lot of shortcomings in communication with people, mm-hmm. like not necessarily in a podcast, but if let's say we're in a bit of an argument, I tend right. to be very direct mm-hmm. and, uh, and a lot of people can find that off-putting and attacking, even though I'm being direct and I find that being right. respectful, some people find that as being attacking. Right. Like I remember I had one client and she was working on muscle ups. She had like this, we had this contraption set up like a pulley system, but this client couldn't do a strict chin up. Mm-hmm. And I just said, there's no point in you doing this until you can do like some strict chin-ups. Right. You're wasting your time right now. Yeah. Like I know the muscle ups feel fun, but if you really want that muscle up, like you say you do, you got to start doing some strict chin-ups. Like you got to, that's your goal. You got to work towards that. Right. And she got really upset. And then all of a sudden, like, I was like her least favorite coach for, you know what (laughs) I mean? hurts. And it's like, well, I I get, I'm not placating, I'm not enabling, but you know, maybe my delivery could have been better, but. To me, that's respectful,
0: as being just, like that. and there's, I don't see a problem with that. Like, yeah, just,
1: I, I don't either, and that's, that's what I mean. Some people, understanding who we're talking to is very important, and I think not necessarily understanding who we're talking to is the most important. Understanding yourself and your own biases is, is yeah, the most important. Yes. Understanding, like, even if I go into a conversation, being conscious of the mood I'm in, mm-hmm. right? How often have you walked, like, have you exploded at like when you're a kid, usually it happens more, but even now we might do it to our partners where we, they might do something small that's irritating, but we act as if it was large right? and it's because we're displacing anger from some, something else that happened in the day or yep. something that's going on in our lives, but we have to be conscious of that. Yeah. And if we're not conscious of that, then that carries over to a lot of ways. So I think that being conscious is the most, like I just said, it's our tool for survival earlier. Right. right? So being conscious is what makes us human. And that is the first critical step to thinking properly is
0: being Mm -hmm. conscious. And like. It's like the foundation everything else is built on.
1: Yeah. And and like when I say conscious, like opposed to like unconsciously or subconsciously. So you can think of like unconscious as just like blanking out, Mm -hmm. like just blanking out completely or being avoidant of things. And then subconscious is kind of like. Programmed to behavior scripts, thought patterns, those types of things. Um, so if I were to talk about living consciously, I would kind of think about, about like a sailboat on the water and you want like the water has a destination or the sailboat has a destination, mm-hmm. right? And you got to be conscious of, you know, where you're steering your sails. Unconscious is just kind of like, you're not even trying to steer the sails. Right. Nice. So you're not really necessarily looking after a destination and some sub- subconscious is the currents going underneath the boat.
0: Hmm. So if announced. you
1: don't do anything, the subconscious is going to direct where the boat is going and, right. the, and the wind. Right. So the things that direct the boat when you are unconscious or not doing anything is your subconscious. So you have to be conscious of everything that's going on and you also have to be conscious of your subconscious programming. Right. In order to live consciously. So that's, that's where I think like really getting to know yourself and having a relationship with yourself is one of the most important things, like, like getting angry at yourself too easily, not having self-compassion, not having self-acceptance, like not doing these things isn't going to help you go in the direction that you want. Right. Right. And, and our, if our goal is finding truth, we have to find all of the things that might work against the truth, whether it's like. Uh, any of our subconscious like biases. Maybe it's like your personality type. Maybe it's like knowing your your Myers-Briggs or something. So you know how, like I know my Myers-Briggs, I'm an right. INTJ.
0: Knowing your tendencies.
1: So, so I know that I tend to talk too direct. Uh, people will find me as cold. I need to start practicing more empathy with people just to let people see that because they don't know what I'm feeling inside, right? Yep. So to share it. Um, so being conscious of these things, to me is like absolutely the most important thing.
0: Yep, I agree. And I think, you know, like the culture we live in uh, is a culture that is underlined by distraction. So our attention spans are shorter. uh, People often don't pay attention to the things that actually matter to them because the distraction, the pull and the magnetism of distraction is so strong today, is so financially incentivized through the attention economy that people find it hard to even pay attention to like simple things. Like how do they feel? How does your knee hurt? Why does it hurt? Like, so I think being conscious requires, requires you to pay attention to your experience and to evaluate your experience on an ongoing basis. Right. And to course, correct like that sales course, correct and recalibrate. Cause you're not always going to be on the straight and narrow right path. And I think, this this sort of culture of distraction has essentially undermined any ability to have energy available to pay attention to your to be conscious basically yeah so we're just left being mindless and essentially just being rocked by whatever forces are exposed to us namely the little wizard in our pocket that is always there always giving us an outlet to cover up any discomfort right because feeling that you're wrong or having a shitty interaction with someone is uncomfortable you will get a sense of discomfort And it's way easier and and really convenient today to just pull out your phone and not have to deal with that discomfort. It's way harder to sit with it and actually put mental energy into thinking, why am I uncomfortable right now? Is it valid? How long should I be uncomfortable for? Has this happened before? What can I do to mitigate this? Like, there's just no, you know, we almost have to teach kids in school about how to protect against distraction in order to create enough bandwidth for them to have energy available to, to evaluate their experience. And it's really, I think that's a big part of the problem.
1: Yeah, it's really, what's really interesting about that is like, that is something that I ran into about two years ago. I really started thinking was that that same thing. It makes people uncomfortable, uh, Mm -hmm. like these kind of conversations. I could give you all of the right evidence, all of the logical reasoning, but if it makes you uncomfortable, you're not going to change right away. Right. You're not going to listen to it. Like even as a coach in like CrossFit, like simple things like telling someone to change a technique. Like let's say they're doing a clean or a snatch and I want them to keep the bar closer. So I say, well, why don't you try like pointing your elbows out and let's see what happens on your pull to keep it a little bit closer. Right. And like, they won't do it, blah, blah, blah. They keep pulling their elbows down. It's almost like the reverse curling it. And, <laughs> and then like a month later or two months later, the client will come up to me like, Jay, like I hit a PR clean. And it's like, Oh, what'd you do? It's like, oh, I turned my elbows out and I kept it closer and they're telling me as if I'm not the one who told them that a month ago. They came up with it. Yeah. And it's just like, oh yeah. It's like, it's like, oh yeah. Weightlifting shoes help when your ankles aren't very mobile. Yeah. I I get it. Like You're (laughs) you're up your, your overhead squat feels easier now. Right. That's great. Thanks for letting me know. I'll let my other clients know.
0: Yeah. 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 Great. Sometimes you you just gotta uh, swallow it because it's, I mean, your instant reaction is like, I uh, i told you that a month ago and you didn't even do it. Yeah. But sometimes you just got to let people have wins and make them feel good. Yeah.
1: And so, and so what that did is it gave me like a little bit of a, a mindset shift and I stopped trying. I, I try to stop, like I'm trying to be conscious of it because I still do this to a fault, but I try to start helping people help themselves. That's, yes. that's where like my yes. mode has gone with everything. It's help people help themselves. Like yep. you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. You can show people the path. You can open the door, but you can't make them walk through. You can't make them walk the path. Right. So how do we get people to go in the right direction or what we believe is the right direction to set them on the trajectory towards truth or better living or healthier living, a happier life, et cetera. Yep. Right. And like, that's, that's what like my journal, like I'm not to put a frigging plug in, but that's what the journaling book was all about was so many people, like, as you're saying, there's so many distractions. People don't want to think about things. Yeah. So you give people a journal prompt. Right. And it says something, something as simple as like, if I were to take responsibility for my relationships today. Right. You know, and then they, they fill it all out. If I were to take responsibility for my relationships today, I would make sure that I have better body language. I would make sure that I show more enthusiasm. I would make sure that I, uh, look the person in the eyes. I'd make sure that I smile. I make sure I'd listen better. I'd make sure I'd seek to understand before I talk rather than just spitting stuff out. I'd make sure I don't swear, like whatever you think of. Right. But the point is that thought, which could be life-changing for a person. Yes. Right, could be absolutely life-changing for a person. No one really has those thoughts anymore. We don't take the time to think that because our brain, our RAM is always taken up with these little like Instagram, five seconds gratification, swipe, 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 right? right? So we don't take the time to think these things. So simply telling someone, okay, you're going to read this prompt and finish this sentence for two minutes, right? two minutes a day. Like you're going to do this for two minutes. You're telling me this isn't going to. Friggin' have an effect on your, on your consciousness for the rest of the, for the rest of the day.
0: It's two minutes more than you've ever done before. It's yeah. going to have an effect.
1: Cause like we've had the, we've had these thoughts where we think about things, but we really only think about it for five or 10 seconds. Three so telling gone. someone to do it for two minutes is like, you know, well over 10, 15 times right. the amount of times that they would be thinking about this. So it adds a little bit of depth to it. And I find that with critical thinking, that is the hardest part. It's how do we get people to want to do this on their own? How, how do we make it so it's something that people naturally do and they don't have to be necessarily prompted to do. And like, I I love the prompting, like that's, that's what the app is as well. Like the simple act of tracking these things daily Mm -hmm. tracking your health metrics, journaling and tracking your activities, all the simple act of doing those makes you think about them more. And the simple act of thinking about them more makes you act in accordance with optimizing them more.
0: Yeah. And I think the, the path to helping, and this is something that I've sort of learned over the past year is if you share things and mainly ask questions instead of teaching or telling those, well, it's basically asking a question is like a STEM. It's a verbal STEM, right? Yeah. And you created your journal. I mean, there's no, you, you can plug that journal as much as you want because it's it was a solution to the problem of reducing stems
1: the... stems journaling. Sisyphus is smiling. Stems journaling on uh,
0: Amazon, available on Amazon. <laughs> um, you you solved a problem you saw, and you tried to lower the barrier of entry for people to do to have to improve their conscious experience, to actually allocate time to examination of things of of people's lives, right? And I think that's very important because if something is seen as a, like if you talk about critical thinking. To someone, you say you need to apply critical thinking in your life. Well, you're telling someone to do something. They're automatically not going to want to do it because they're probably going to get defensive and be like, well, they're assuming I don't do any of that. And then number two, it might seem like a very big obstacle, right? If you go into explain all the process. But if you just ask someone like, when's the last time that you looked to the the initial source of something you heard? When's the last time you looked up, like you said, the, the speech of someone who had had their speech written about with a certain perspective? And then, and not even telling them to do that, but just saying, when's the last time you did that? And they might think, they might not even say anything, right? But they'll think, wow, I don't actually do that. Maybe I should start to do that. Maybe I should try that. And I think, you know, B.J. Fogg in his book, Tiny Habits, talks about how habits are formed by positive emotions. People have to feel good about a behavior they did. And that is the chief motivator for then doing that behavior again. And if you help encourage them to take that step and then you reinforce That they succeeded by like maybe they look up a journal article once and they say, yeah, I read this journal article, but I don't really understand how to read it. Like, wow, you just you made an effort to actually go deeper than just the superficial stuff like that's significant. You're significantly better informed. You can now be better informed to make better decisions on what truth is and them feeling good about, wow, I'm taking an active motion in the forward direction to try and fill a gap like it's it's helping people. You're right. Helping people is all about helping them help themselves and understanding that our psychology is such that we are very reluctant to accept advice. We have to prove things to ourselves. You can use all the logic in the world to say this shoe is going to destroy your foot, but until they actually experience the feel the feeling of not wearing a shoe that damages your foot and prove it to themselves, they will not take in that information.
1: Yeah. I I took a uh, I took a conflict management course recently, like mm-hmm. over, during this pandemic. And, uh, it's basically for people who want to become mediators. Right. Um, but I more took it as a means to improve coaching or like try to figure out what I'm doing because conflict management is helping, helping people is really helping inner conflicts is how I saw it. Right. And what I realized is mediation is nothing like people think it is. Like when you think of mediation, like picture a, a husband and wife or two people getting separated, divorced, and you picture like them sitting at a table, one person sitting at a whiteboard and they each say their perspective and then you sit there and try to help them compromise. Right. That is not at all what mediation is. Hmm. What's really interesting about mediation is you're getting these two people to talk and you just keep asking them questions so that they can keep getting more information out there in the open so that we can help understand each other's perspectives. Right. And you, and all the mediator does is make them, Uh, make sure that it's an amicable experience. Like there's no putting down, there's no interrupting. And Mm -hmm. you just try and guide the conversation. Right. And a really good mediator is a mediator that barely, like if there's a 90 minute session, the mediator says like very little. Interesting. The more these two people are talking, the better a job you're doing. Yes. And it is literally just about getting them to get it out there, but getting them to get it out there, That is like what we're talking about. That's like getting people to think about things more and more and more because two people walk in the room, husband and wife, one of them cheated on one of them or something like they Mm -hmm. they hate each other. Right. But they might have a child or two and they have this house and all these financial things that they want to work out with. But at the same time, like no one wants to be an evil person. Right. Like, you know, like. People want to make things work out for themselves. They want to feel good about it in the long run. And they don't want this conflict to continue after they leave the room. Yeah. So the goal of the media is actually to help prevent future conflicts as well. Interesting. And getting people to talk about these things does like some crazy, crazy things because so much, so much information is out there that like there all of a sudden there's big understanding. Mm-hmm. Like huge understanding. And once there is understanding, it's like that ball between us, that, that truth, it's like, we've molded it together. Like, cause we're talking about right. conflict between two people. It's not an objective truth. Right? right. But there's this, this, this thing between us and we both put so much out there and we made sure that we tried hard to make it work that there's, there's a very good possibility that the more we talk, we're going to find, we're going to find something positive there, something to work
0: with. I love that analogy. Because you get this visual of someone saying something, and the ball molds to to a shape that they think is right. The other person says something, and the ball morphs to their what they think is right. The goal is to is to shape a ball of clay that both people can agree with in the end. Be like that reflects my position, but also I see your part in there too. We we created this ball together. Yeah, because that's the goal.
1: Yeah, because sometimes sometimes like there's a ball on the right, there's a ball on the left between these two people. Like they each have their own like idea of what they want things to be like. But sometimes some of the ways that it is molded are based off of assumptions that the other per- person has of each other. Right. Right. Like they might be assuming that this person wants this or this person's thinking this.
0: Yes. Right. Like the thinking one is a big one.
1: But it's like you have no idea what I'm thinking until you ask me what I'm thinking. Yep. Right. Like the, the biggest thing that I always find interesting is like when you 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 uh, see things like people who cheated on one another. It's like, well, usually something was missing, Mm -hmm. right? Like usually the person felt very lonely or didn't feel heard. Like there's something missing, right? It's not, it's not always malicious and I'm not defending that. I'm, I'm not defending it. Um, but the actions are not always malicious. Sometimes they come from the person's own need to heal. Yeah. And if a person can recognize that, then the maliciousness behind it from both ends kind of like fades. Yep. And if they want to make it work together, then they can make it work together. And and that's where like that compassion and empathy and understanding like can be very powerful. And just like the way my my father my father is a mediator for the government. Well, he's a director now, but he used to be a mediator and. He, what he always says is just keep the conversation going. Right, right. So if there's anything keep like, people at the table, just keep the conversation going. Yeah, that, that's it. Don't think about anything else other than keeping the conversation going. And uh, and truth can be so much like that. It's if we can in helping people help themselves, it's just entice, entice them if they're working with themselves, entice introspection. Mm-hmm. And if they're seeking for truth on a topic, just whatever you can do to entice them to want to look it up on their own. Right. Right. So re- like you're saying, rather than throwing things at people, maybe how can we help people uh, want to search on their own to find right. truth? And, uh, and I feel like the biggest detriment is like that conscious living aspect where it's just first, can we recognize what all of our confirm, like all, all of our, all our biases are, like, what are all of the things that are holding our, us back? Like, it could be something as simple as like, when I talk talk about these two people arguing, it could be something as simple as like, you're like you're saying a word and I'm saying a word.
0: And we don't even agree on the meaning of the word. And we don't
1: agree on the meaning of <laughs> the word. This happens but, all the time. Yeah, but we've been arguing for 20 minutes or, yeah, yeah. you know, we got a divorce over it. You know what I mean? Right. And it's crazy. And it's like, well, that's why in philosophy, the very first thing to do is define your terms. Yes. Like you ever go watch a philosophical debate or something or read a paper. It's like they're the majority of his definitions, right? So that Which it, is important. It's crazy. It's like, this is so boring. You know what I mean? Like, right. Oh, but it's like these two guys are arguing over such silly words, but it's like, I get it. Cause this is going to lead to problems and down right. the road.
0: Cause that's the foundation for everything you're going to talk about in the conversation is based on defining and having a clear understanding of how the other person defines that term to make sure you're on the same page. Right. I, it seems like, there's a, a very, I mean, the, the respect for words is something that's becoming a little bit slippery, right? It seems like, like, you know, we won't delve into this topic, but the word racism, the goalposts are changing of what racism actually means, depending on who you talk to and what the context is. And that's a big problem because you can never find agreement if you don't even agree on the base premise of what that word means. Right. And I think that that's a big part of, that's a big part lacking from conversations is like nothing is black and white a so there's no like to take these tribal approaches without any desire to come together to have a conversation is, is never going to lead to something good but agreeing on terms is very important i i recently saw uh, a tr- uh, interview with um i can't remember who it was it was on the ruben report but they first started by describing four terms and what they meant what does being a liberal mean what does being a conservative mean because otherwise we identify with things and the other person doesn't even understand what we're actually packing into that word. And it just really emphasized the importance for me of like, wow, yeah, we need to, we need to agree on the meaning of words or find out where we disagree on those meanings. Cause that's going to color everything else we talk about in the next hour. Yeah. And that's very important. And it, you know, take not Han says all problems come from misunderstandings. If I understand you, if you do something really shitty to me, If I'm in a grocery store and you start yelling at me because I did something or you cut me off and you give me the finger. If I can gain an understanding that, okay, well that person's dog literally just got hit by a car and they're, they're really upset. If I can understand where that person's coming from, I can oftentimes see, yeah, I would be upset there too. You know? So if you understand that everyone probably has circumstances that you have no idea about, it's really easy to be compassionate and forgiving to people that do shitty things because the likelihood is something shitty has happened to them or or colored their lens. And I think if you take that perspective of just when someone does something shitty to you, before you do anything, just take one breath and think that that person's perspective might be such that I know nothing about what happened to them. And what they did makes perfect sense and I probably would have done it too. And if you just reinforce that, you're like... That's a very different lens to look at the world yeah. through.
1: That doesn't necessarily negate negate like whether or not what they did was moral or no. not.
0: No, no, not at all. Like
1: like it can still be absolutely wrong. I yes. think But it's just I understanding. That, I think for you that helps you get the peace. Yes. Like why did this person do this to me? Right. It's like, okay, it had nothing to do with me. It yep. was because they're going through a rough time. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. I'm it just, doesn't I'm excuse just thinking shitty behavior, like, but. yeah. If you think of someone like stealing from you or killing, right. murder, rape, all those things and then yep. saying, oh, they had a shitty life. It's like, <laughs> yeah. That's no, very you're true. still morally culpable. It's just, <laughs> yeah. you know, you can just understand that it's not necessarily hate towards you. It's hate towards something right. in their brain
0: or, yep. right?
1: um, yeah, that, that's definitely, that's definitely a, a scary one. And. And I find what I find really interesting around that topic. I don't even know if we want to go down. That is like with rights and privilege, yep. uh, there's there like there, there's like a lot of fuzziness. Yes. Like what, what is a right? What is a privilege? And why don't we just get
0: into that right now? Let's talk. Cause one of the things that were on the agenda today and whether or not we talk about these two things or have enough time to um, was number one, white privilege. And number two, just taking an objective view at what does mandatory mask wearing actually mean and what is the context of of like the broader context asking questions so why don't we start with the first one because the word right privilege gets thrown around is getting thrown around a lot especially on social media and even before this i should say that you know i took a week off of instagram to learn more about instagram because i was like I was getting manipulated a lot by it. And my view of the world when I was on in the virtual world was extremely different than my view of the world when I was in the natural world. And I was like, holy shit, what is going on here? How am I getting hooked so easily to like emotional swings? So I started learning about it. And we talked about this even before, but just briefly, you know, outrage, uh, extremism, polarization. These are not bugs with social media. These are not um, faults. These are these are by design. It's put in there. Your feed on Instagram is curated to facilitate and incentivize outrage, polarization, extremism, because that will attract your attention. So when you're trying to fight for a finite resource, the work of Tristan Harris is very, very powerful. He was a Google ethicist, got fired. Now he does a lot of work to just try and improve the core source code of how we build social media today. And basically what he talks about is, he gives a really good analogy that right now there's this attention economy. So people's attention is the most valuable resource today. If you look at GDP and it's a finite uh, resource, right? So it's like fossil fuels right now. We're strip mining it and we're externalizing all of the harms in terms of health and in terms of degrading our social fabric. So we don't give a shit about what this is doing to humanity. We're just strip mining attention and trying to get as much attention as possible. Cause the more attention I get as Facebook, the more money I make. And so it inevitably, if there's a finite resource and you're trying to get more of it from other people, it has turned into a race, what he calls a race to the bottom of the brainstem. So they go deeper and deeper into your little reptilian brain to try and hack these human vulnerabilities, emotional vulnerabilities, all this kind of stuff to try and get more eyeball time. And it inevitably leads to a place where the entire world is polarized, is extreme, is crazy, is negative. Because our negativity bias, we always tune into negative shit way more than we tune into positive stuff. This is just like a, a deeply rooted human tendency. So when social media is architectured, the architecture of social media is such that those bad things are incentivized. And we're so addicted, companies are so addicted to the money that that's making them. It's very hard to change. And so I think that's a big part of why we're seeing so many charged topics come up and so much... So many problematic conversations where people are just going straight up tribal on social media. It's be, it's by design. And I think it's important to know.
1: I find that really interesting because that fits into like every view that I have of, say, economics. Like at Western, they only teach Keynesian economics, which is government inter- intervention economics. Right. Or state-run economies where the state and economy are not separate. And Austrian school and Chicago school are basically kind of, we should have laissez-faire economies that kind of run themselves, right? right? And and that leads to more prosperous societies. Mm -hmm. And I I look at all these these major corporations and I always wonder, I'm like, why are they always supporting all of these leftist agendas? Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't understand it. I look at, and like, really like this person, like they made their living, they made such a change in the world through like capitalism and now they're shunning capitalism and I never really understand it. But when you say that it, it makes me think, okay, makes sense. it's just still the spontaneous order. It's still the invisible hand working. Mm-hmm. It's their goal is to maximize revenue for their shareholders. Right. And, uh, and that real, that's a really neat shift for me. Hmm. It, it gets me from thinking away from some like big global overthrow of the world. To just companies are trying to keep maximizing their profits, and this is where it's going. Yeah. And if we if people don't like that, then really they just need to become aware of it and then stop doing it.
0: Responsibility. Yeah, responsibility. Because it's not going to stop. Technology is not going to get less embedded in our lives. Companies are not going to stop incentivizing for profit. This is just how the system's built. It has to come and you're starting to see a little bit of a shift because like Facebook employees wrote a letter saying this is still our company. We see what's going on. We need to change things because, you know, you have two options to fix that problem. Basically, is government regulation over the attention economy where there's rules where it's like the game theory of strip mining attention is no longer uh, allowed. That's going to take a shitload of time. And then you have the ability of these companies to change internally by just going in, like showing them the problem and then saying, these are some things you can start to do. So this is the nonprofit Tristan Harris has started and that's starting a little bit, but the the easiest way to have mass scale change is for people to have better understanding that this is happening to take some responsibility to protecting their attention, right through very simple things, very simple things. And that allows us to have a better, uh, it gives more bandwidth to be able to actually examine your life. If you're not constantly being distracted Um, so yeah, it's pretty, it, things make a lot more sense to me now. It doesn't mean they're better, right? The shittiness of what's going on right now makes more sense when you understand the underlying incentive structure of how things are engineered. Yeah. Because, you know, it's not like Huxley said, it's not, not letting people see the books. It's a world where no one wants to read a book anymore means that people control their attention and where they get their information from. And if they're giving you so much distraction that you can't even find the right information, that is way more sneaky and more dangerous than people purposely trying to hide truth. They just bury it under a mountain of bullshit and it's equally impossible to find. That's the situation we're in right now, I think. And that's why so many things like masks or like, you know, systemic racism or that's why there's so much ambiguity around things, because purposely you're being distracted and brought from one place to the next. So you can never spend time thinking of one specific thing
1: and and i and i feel that so much dude i feel it in too in my it's life right crazy. now like, like I, before i go to bed i always write down what i have to do the next day yes like you have your normal to-do list it's in your phone or on your computer or in your journal whatever yep but then there's also like all these little things like oh don't forget to pack a lunch and you know what i mean don't right. don't forget to email this person blah, but blah, you blah,
0: dump blah, 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 blah. it all and then dude i started doing that i slept significantly it's better great. when i did that
1: it's great but you know what happens to me what Someone might comment something on Instagram or (laughs) I might see a post somewhere or something that happened earlier in the day that I heard in the news and I have to look it up. Right. Cause I, I have to know, you have to make sense of it. I have to, and it, it, it owns me sometimes. And, and like, like Lindsay, my partner, sometimes she gets frustrated with me because you know she's like you shouldn't be spending all this time on this we're so busy we have so much going on but i'm like talking about something i read and it's like, this has <laughs> nothing to do with anything and i get her frustration but at the same time it's like that 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 trigger in me is also one of the reasons why i am a knowledgeable person exactly is because i do it's always guys yeah, i do always have that desire and uh and i just find it very frustrating in that i will stay up at night looking up things and analyzing things and it just monkey minds me. It just completely owns me. Right. And then, it, then once I get it, then there's a piece of it that I'm happy enough with, and I can like kind of throw it away and close my <laughs> eyes and I sleep well. But these distractions, like I, I struggle with them. Definitely. They, yeah. they own me at times. It's uh, there's
0: billions of dollars being spent on scary. making sure it does. So it's, it's not, it, it is scary because it's, it requires you to essentially build a moat and engineer uh, access engineer how much access these platforms have to your mind because the likelihood of you being able to overcome mentally not being able to get roped into these triggers is extremely low you're fighting against deeply rooted biology so the strategy is creating a moat and creating a boundary where you only allow access to these things for a certain period of time and that that is the only strategy i've found that works
1: yeah, I'd love to like Pavlov myself or something, like create a phone that shocks you at <laughs> every time you open Instagram or yeah. something. It's like, boom, ow. That'd be you great. Know, that'd be freaking like you're only allowed between this time and this time of the day. Right. And because I put like the 30 minute limit on it and, yeah. and it comes up, but it'd be really cool if there was something like that to just. I agree. Just really get that condition. It'd be great either.
0: if it was deeply embedded so that because the problem with the because I went through this too. I'm like, I'm going to schedule time for Instagram for work. I'm going to schedule time for Instagram for mess around explore time so that I'm not getting distracted because if I scheduled it, I'm doing what I said I wanted to do. The problem is that 30 minutes of explore time oftentimes has an hour and a half of not on Instagram, but thinking about what I just saw on Instagram time. That's where it erodes the daily energy. It's not actually the time you're on it. Well, for me, at least, it's the time I'm thinking of things that I just saw when I was on it. It'd be great if you could Pavlov the thought of going into Instagram land instead of just the act of touching it because that's the hard one.
1: That is the hard one. And, and especially since because Instagram is a tool where you follow what you want to follow.
0: Right. You I mean, engineer the environment. It's
1: it's crazy to me. So So you can either take advantage of that or you can just let it run you. So I've started like... I've started like muting a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So I don't follow a lot of, I follow, but I don't follow a lot of people. I just kind of right. mute them and then I never see them. And then that keeps my head space a little bit clear <laughs> because yeah. the, the weirdest thing is so many friendships and things are being ruined right? from this, from, from this exact thing, like this distracted conflict that's out there. Yep. And so many people who are great friends or get along otherwise are like, you know, they're,
0: they're, they're toe to toe. Yeah. They're getting charged. Yeah. We, we had this, like I said, recently. So, you know, the footner community, we put up a manifesto and it's like, this is all the stuff you need to agree with. This is what we agree with as a community. So it's self-selecting. Basically you only have the right people in the community that think in line with what the collective thinking should be like. And we recently had someone, uh, get upset about some of the posts I did about mass and literally left the community. She's like, I can't agree with your position on masks. I'm leaving. I am optimistic that she'll come back when things calm down, but like, that's a prime example. We agree on a shitload of stuff on our perspective, global perspective of thinking. And and the sad part there is that it wasn't even, we didn't even have a conversation. It was just like a one-time thing. We didn't even get a chance to discuss and compare data or anything like that. There was no conversation, but that was a prime example. We agree on a lot of things on a significant amount of things. We disagree on one thing. And that was a cause for disconnection, which is very odd it's extremely odd. It's extremely odd, but I can also see how probably her community, like I think um, this person's from San Francisco, which is probably a very, very left-leaning yes. place, right? And And like I said, well-intentioned people can often miss sort of the bigger picture. I'm not claiming I'm more right than her, but I would have loved an opportunity to share my perspective so that she understood where it was coming from. And I would love to hear hers. And you put it through the conversational filter to both mold that clay ball. And oftentimes you end up with something that is like, okay, I see what you see. I see what I see. Here's where we disagree. We can disagree on 5%. And that's okay. We can still be friends. We can still be part of this community. And I think, like you said, with friendships, it's just, you know, another thing that Instagram does is it literally, algorithmically, it will favor things that reinforce your perspective. So it it literally incentivizes groupthink. Which is very, uh, that's a big problem. That is, I think, it makes things way easier to see why so so many people are dug into their perspective. Because their only sense of input, their only exposure is reinforcing their current views. Instagram knows people better than they know themselves. This is a fundamental problem.
1: (laughs) It's scary.
0: (laughs) And it knows what you want. It knows what will attract your attention, even if that messes you up psychologically. Yeah. That's a big problem. Yeah. And it's just an externality. It's like, oh yeah, we're going to take oil out of the planet because it's super profitable. We don't care about the planet because we need to make profits as a company. It's the same thing. If we treat attention as a finite resource where you have to do sketchier and sketchier shit to mine it and get a portion. you have to start fracking because it's getting so hard to come by. You have to start limbically hijacking people because it's getting so hard to get attention. Uh, We're left with a really significant problem.
1: Yeah. That's really interesting. I like that term limbic
0: Limbic hijacking. Yeah. Yeah. I started hearing that. I was like, holy shit. I get limbic hijacked a lot and I just don't examine it. But now I get it and I don't feel as shitty about just getting thrown off the rails by some silly comment or post that I see or something like that, because I get that that is literally part of the system. So I have to start to put up firewalls in my mental realm to just not let myself get hijacked because trying to resist getting hijacked can be hard. You can do a pretty good job of improving your ability, but it's going to get you at some point. It's later. It was always later in the day for me where your capacity to make good decisions was just eroded. And so it's just so easy that that's always, so I literally just eliminated my eating block of social media for a while. And I felt so much better.
1: That's a good idea. Cause that's usually when I look at social media is when I'm eating,
0: I just kind of pull it up. Cause in the morning I can, I can uh, compartmentalize and be like, okay, well that was shitty or I saw something shitty, but that's okay. You know, you have, you still have a lot of decision. You don't have any decision fatigue yet. But at the end of the day, you make a hundred decisions that were some of them were tough ones. You have no, you have significantly less restraint from distraction. Yeah.
1: Well, plus the thirty thousand that you.
0: Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Thirty thousand small decisions that, that you, you made. made without even knowing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So where do you want to go next? I mean, we can. We got twenty. Uh, let's call it twenty minutes left. And
1: so, so let's dissect privilege a little bit. Okay. Let's, let's talk about that because, because yep. I find that a very interesting one because it's touching everyone right now. Yeah. Privilege in the masks that, that is very interesting. And uh, like, so, so let's like the definition of privilege is like a special advantage, immunity, permission, uh, granted benefit. And uh, it's exercised to the exclusion or detriment of others.
0: That's a key one at the end there is to, yeah. cause I, cause when I looked up privilege, it didn't actually include that last part. It said a special right advantage or immunity granted uh, or available only to a particular person or group. When I looked up social privilege, they tacked on to the, ben- to the detriment of others where the benefit is to the detriment of others. So you having a benefit automatically means that someone else is being disadvantaged from that benefit. Right. And that that's interesting.
1: It's super interesting because like when when it's being put into law, when something's being put into law, like it has to do with rights. Yeah. Right. So we have to think about, okay, well, what are these rights? So you just said for the social benefit. And that immediately got me thinking to like positive versus negative rights. Mm -hmm. So negative rights are rights that you have. They're like natural rights that don't require anyone to do anything. Right. Right. Like, so a natural right would be like my, my life, my liberty, my private property. So you just don't kill me. Right. You know what I mean? Don't take my... Don't steal from me like
0: We don't have to explicitly put them out there because we all I think intuitively know that those are granted to you as a right. sovereign human.
1: No one no one is obligated to act for you in order to, to implement that right. Right. So that's a negative right. And a positive right is a right that requires action. People are obligated for it. Right. So like it could be like I get a phone call. Like if you're arrested, I have a right to a phone call. I have a right to a lawyer. Right. I have a right to welfare. I have a right in Canada to healthcare, yep. right? So these are, these are rights. Um, and so those are positive rights, but there's like some weird kind of like conflict between the two in a lot of situations because you can't for sometimes, sometimes you can't give a positive right without uh, infringing on a negative right. Ah, so, interesting. so, so for example, if we say social welfare or healthcare, It's like, well, in order to give everyone all of this money, the money has to come from somewhere. So we're going to take the money from Uh people through tax. Yep. Right. And if at so long as none of those people voluntarily give their money like they would a charity. We need to take it. It's involuntary. So you're infringing on a negative right. Mm -hmm. Right. So and a lot of people, a lot of people don't necessarily see that. But some rights cause you to infringe on people's negative rights. And for me, the negative rights, which I just mentioned, are the basis for why a government exists, right? So I I call them like your three Ps, your private property, your person, and your pursuit of happiness, Mm -hmm. right? So it's like your private property, your life, right? It's not like just your physical person, but your life and your liberty, your freedom to make choices. That's what pursuit of happiness is. It's your ability, it's your freedom to choose what you want to do with your life Mm -hmm. and You know, if we go like not like off the non-aggression principle, like the non-initiation of force, you can't use any force unless someone like threatens you, like only if it's in defense. Mm -hmm. So you you think of those three things and they are all negative rights and they are your past, your present and your future self. Your past is your private property. The things that you've done with your body, the things that you've created, Mm -hmm. those are yours. That's your private property. Right. Right. Your present, obviously, your life, you, that goes without saying. And your future are the decisions that you can make and where you want to take your life. And any one of those is dependent on the other two. So if you fr- infringe on one, you're infringing on others. Right. Like so if I tell or none. You, yeah. Like if I tell you you can't do something, then, well, I'm affecting your life because then where your life is in two days isn't going to be where you wanted it to be. Right. Right. And if I take away from you, I steal all of your private property, then all of the things that you've done with your life don't matter. And you might've wanted to use those things for a purpose, like to improve your life, like build a house and I take your house from you. Well, you don't have a house, so it affects your life and your future now. Yes. Right. So they are all dependent on each other. And this is like, I don't know why they don't teach us in high school. Like (sighs) what I'm saying right now is very basic. Right. Right. There's a great book out there. If anyone's ever interested, it's like, it's actually a pamphlet. It's a like two hour read it's called the law by Frederick Bastiat. Okay. Okay. The law by Frederick Bastiat. And, and he points out a lot of things in regard to the perversion of the law and the purpose of the law. Mm-hmm. So the purpose of the law is to protect these three things. It's for your negative rights, your natural rights. Right. right. And these naturally rights can be derived through like divinity by God or can be derived in like an Aristotelian sense, where you're thinking of, you know, um, life is the the end, like happiness, uh, and life are the end,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Like they're ends in themselves, right? And then non-aggression principle, and then boom. So whether you're deriving it through like through God or just like naturally by like what only makes sense philosophically if we stop thinking about life after death kind of stuff, mm-hmm. then then it makes sense. So the government is the collectivization of individuals to protect these individual rights. Yes. By that basis to protect the individual rights. So what happens when it steps beyond those rights is when we start having some interesting, you know, conversations. And so we could talk about arguments for why that is even necessary. So let's say why, why is a government necessary? And we'll get like the evil argument or the stupidity argument. So all men are evil, mm-hmm. right? Well, what's that? It's like a circular thing. Like all men are evil. So we need a government made up of people are all evil so we
0: need a government <laughs> yeah exactly up. people are all evil like, the people you know I mean? making the rules are, are also just people Yeah,
1: have you ever seen that it's like the circle that keeps going no, I haven't. it's but one I sentence it. without a period and it just goes, <laughs> and it's like people are evil so we need a government made up of people are evil so we it just,
0: ah, okay right yeah, yeah. just
1: showing the ridiculousness of it and yeah and so let's even just dissect that and let's just say okay so let's look at the different possible scenarios there's a scenario where all men are evil Mm -hmm. In which case a government would work because then the evil men would just be corrupt against all of the evil men who aren't in power. Right. Right. So if all men are evil, government makes no sense. If all men are good. Okay. If all men are good, then there's no reason for a government. There's no need for government. We don't need to govern ourselves because we're all good. If some men are good and the rest are evil, then you're almost surely going to end up knowing that people who are evil crave power more than people who are good.
0: So the sociopaths get become the government?
1: Become the government, right? Most likely. And then if most, the majority of the men in the world are evil and the minority are good, then that's even more, right? So either way, it's one of the two where... Like it's none of the two extremes. And it's one of the ones where we're sitting in a situation where people who seek power will get the power. Right. right? So if we look at it through that, then we can kind of wonder, okay, well this whole majority rule thing of democracy where we let governments change laws and keep adding more positive laws, positive rights is kind of a scary scenario. And then the same thing happens when we think of like the stupidity argument for people, it's like, Well, people are too stupid to govern their own lives, so we need a government. Right. Right. Well, if they're too stupid to govern their own lives, are they intelligent enough to choose who to govern their lives? Right. Oh, Well, they are smart enough. They are smart enough to choose who to govern their lives when it's time to vote. But then after they voted and the person's been, been elected, they're not smart enough to question or... You know, Mm. they have to follow everything that this person says, and this person isn't held accountable, blah, 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 blah,
0: blah, blah. Right. That's an interesting one. So
1: it's like, either way, it's kind of, this is really weird. And the only way that it makes sense to me is if we just focus on those three aspects of law. And Mm -hmm. the second we start taking more laws and keep adding policies and this and that, we are actually infringing. On people's rights.
0: On the negative So rights. to bring it
1: back, sorry, it's very drawn out. That's okay.
0: We, no, I'm following.
1: We, yeah, we bring it back to privilege. And a lot of things around the word privilege are actually infringing on people's rights, like big time, mm-hmm. right? So if we think, and this is where it gets pretty crazy to me, because like to make up, and it's not sorry around privilege it's to make up for pri- privilege quotation marks is like, let's say I want to be a, let's say you want to be a firefighter. I I could kind of claim the visible minority thing. So let's say (laughs) you wanted to be a firefighter and, uh, and you went in there and you're a white male, Mm -hmm. right? And there is a female or a black male or whatever, like visible minority male and you guys score the same or you score slightly higher actually. Okay. Uh, But there's a quota that they have to do to Mm -hmm. reflect the population. Um, is that not infringing on your rights if they don't give you the job based on merit? Is that not infringing on your liberty, your pursuit of happiness?
0: Yeah. And I will agree with that. The people who take the opposite perspective will say, yeah, but him being white affected the way he was scored. So I, I I am often seeing this where there is that people are presenting irrefutable statements, statements that you can't prove wrong because they're, they're not grounded in an actual firm hypothesis, right? Like saying, yeah, but you like you're making the assumption that I was scored differently because I was white versus because I was black. That argument can't be refuted. And that's a problem because then there's no discussion about, OK, well, is, is there empirical evidence to show that people that are getting scored to be firefighters are scored higher if they're white versus black? Right. It's a romantic thing to believe in. But that's, that's where they get you. They, they cut your legs out before you can even start to talk about the rights, the infringement of rights, because they say, well, yeah, well, the way you're scored is flawed.
1: Yeah, that's, that, that's interesting, because I don't know if you ever, uh, everyone can Google this. I think his name was Michael Lee, L-I, okay. like Michael, Michael Lee spelled with an I. And uh, he's an Ivy League, Ivy League uh, student. He was like all-state math. He's like a decathlete mm-hmm. uh, Asian guy. And uh, he didn't get into a law school. But someone who scored something like 200 points less, who is black, got into that law school, Hmm. and they looked into it, and they found that in the Ivy Leagues for law schools, they were finding that there were too many Asians.
0: Yeah, they're they're which
1: which which in itself is a fucked up sentence to me. I agree. Too many? Like, what do you mean there are too many? I agree. So what they did was... you're talking about
0: Asian privilege? <laughs> yeah. So,
1: so don't like quote me on these numbers. It's been like right. years since I read this, but it would be like Asians need to score 100 points more than a white person who need to score 100 points more than a black person. So on the LSAT to get accepted, let's say there's 1100 for an Asian to get accepted, 1000 for a white person mm-hmm. and 900 for a black person to get into this law school. Right. These are like Ivy League, like these
0: are like, yeah, this is a
1: big a, thing. I've heard about this schools. Right. And it's just like, how, how is that right? And like, oh, privilege. Cause this person had parents to right. help them study. Yeah, it's You're like,
0: correcting. They'll say you're correcting for privilege.
1: Yeah. And, and what happens if we correct for privilege, whether we're talking about firefighters or whether we're talking about, uh, like law school, what happens is we're eliminating merit. We're eliminating ability and capability. Okay, we're not holding that as the highest standard. It's still a standard; they still have to score a certain on a test or whatever. Right. But we're not holding it as a highest standard. So let's say, let's say you and I own a law firm. Okay. okay. And we're going to Harvard, and we're hiring people. Mm-hmm. We're going through interviews and we're hiring people. Do you watch Suits? No. <laughs> oh, yes, I, I love Suits. Suits okay. is a great show. Okay. And uh, and we're hiring people. Oh, Harvard. Okay. Yeah. And we're <laughs> law Harvard. Okay, so. There's uh, a black gentleman and a black, uh, and a black lady who just finished law school, and there's an Asian gentleman and an Asian lady who just finished law school. Okay. I will not be able to ignore the fact that I know that these two Asians had to score 200 points higher, and it was probably harder for them to get into Ooh, law school. This
0: is a very interesting point.
1: Than it was for the two black
0: people. Right.
1: And for all I know, those two black people were, were like, they didn't fall into that. They both scored 1100 on their, their LSATs. Right. You know what I mean? But my initial thought, even, even after I know.
0: Because you know the facts.
1: Yeah. Even after I know I'm, I'm going to question who is better and it will more likely fall on who I know how to work hard to get there. Yep. Right. So it works negatively in that regard. Mm. So that's one way that it can work negatively. The other way it can work negatively Okay. Is that the person might have gotten into the, might get a job and not be good at it. Right. So let's say I spent four, let's say I got into law school and I got in because I was given a little bit of like favoritism, Yep, you know? And so I get in there, I finish law school and then I go to get a job, but I'm a crappy lawyer. Right. I'm not a good lawyer. It's not fit for me because you were
0: propped up to taking something that you might not have had the marks to do.
1: Yeah. Or I just, or even I don't finish a school and I waste all my money and I end up in more debt because I can't get the grades. Right. It's too hard for me. And that's the reason they had the test was to make sure only people who could pass, you know what I mean? So, and I could have spent all of that money and all of that time doing in school for something else that would have, you know, made me money, but instead it puts me in debt. So there's like these negative effects of it. Mm -hmm. I hear these stories, like I have a lot of firefighter friends and I hear these stories about some, some of the females who get given, given their jobs and they're not strong enough to do some simple things. Now I know some women who are absolute tanks and would be great firefighters. Right. So in no way am I saying, you know, I don't think women should be firefighters. Like right. if I look at like one of our old coaches at uh, at CrossFit O-Town, Sam, she a super strong chick. She could almost deadlift 500 pounds.
0: Yeah. She might be, She's probably stronger than most she could people probably, in a firehouse. She, she
1: could probably pick up some guys and drag them.
0: Yeah. You know? <laughs> She's definitely or, good. <laughs> yeah.
1: Or like one of my other friends who was going to be a firefighter, she was on the national rugby team. Yeah. Right. So like, yeah, these, these girls are, are athletic. I, I support that. But the majority of women aren't who, a lot of women who are getting in aren't necessarily at
0: that level. The majority of women aren't deadlifting 500 pounds. Yeah. And, and it's okay to say that. It's okay to say that.
1: And, and so in that scenario, it's, Well, where do we put them? So one of my friends, he was talking about some guy who needed an oxygen mask and uh, like they pulled him out of a fire and he needed some oxygen, the things on his face and they just have to like twist the thing. And she couldn't open it, but she was ashamed that she couldn't twist the cap to release the oxygen Mm -hmm. for this man. So she didn't say anything. She just kept trying. Right. And then he saw and he's like, what the hell? Cause I guess like a minute or something had gone by. Right. He's like, what the hell? So he grabs it and he turns it and The problem with that is he's like, he wasn't mad that she couldn't do it. It's not even necessarily that she couldn't do it. It's that she was afraid that she couldn't do it. Yeah. So he had to be like, listen, like, that's cool. Like these things get stuck. I get it. I've had ones where I have difficulty opening and someone else opens it.
0: Right. You loosened it.
1: (laughs) But in her mind, in her mind, she was afraid of that, that judgment. So she didn't, you know what I mean? And, and those like, that's a life and death potentially Situation, right? Where that could go like
0: wrong. And these are like, it's often the unintended consequences that we don't actually see or hear about, right? When you create a positive right, you often aren't doing that knowing it's going to infringe on a negative right. Right. But when you see that it does, you can't just try and reinforce the reason you made it. You have to objectively view everything. And there's nothing wrong with saying, oh shit, we did this, but now this happened. So we got to change that back. We're not perfect. We're humans, just like anyone else. And I think that's part of the problem is the reluctance to admit that that you maybe didn't make the best decision. We see this in medicine all the time. People just are stubborn. They don't want to admit that there's a better way that they're not doing because they think that insinuates that they're purposely doing something bad. Right. Which is not the case. Like she thought she was ashamed to mention to ask for help because she didn't want it to seem like she wasn't playing her role as a firefighter as well as a male. Mm-hmm. but that actually created an externality of someone being put in danger, be, not because of the thing, because of the reaction to the thing. Yeah. And that's like, a yeah, I think that's, you know, that law school thing that you met, I am going to like, I'm going to listen to this podcast again. And that is definitely an example of unintended concept of something that we do with good intentions. Okay. We want to correct for the lack of privilege, the disadvantage that the black person has had in their life leading up to that point, we want to correct for that. That is well-intentioned. That is, from the outset, may look noble. But then when you see the back-end consequence of what's happening, you might see the Asian person getting picked over the black person as discrimination while not realizing that part of that was actually created with your initial noble act. or what's seen as noble and we just have to take a broader view right i think so many times we get siloed into our perspective we don't most people aren't even aware of the back end externality that is the negative consequence yes and then when you bring it up you're just saying oh you know like yeah it's just i think part of it is just the art of conversation is completely lost in a strictly verbal medium of short bursts of reactive input it's not even people aren't responding on social media most of the time they're reacting right this whole thing of When you're limbically hijacked, you're not thinking about what you're saying. You're just saying something to try and get a job in. And that leads to the breakdown of even being able to discover the nuance, being able to discover and talk about the possible externalities because there's no conversation happening.
1: And, And I think that this this whole idea of for the greater good, like you were to we can either maximize like we talk about the negative, right? Like that's individual based. You're maximizing the rights of the individual. Yes. When you start talking about the greater good, that is the collective. You're thinking about the collective and it's dangerous to think about the collective because of that utilitarian aspect. Like, uh, would you kill one person to save a million? Right. Okay. Well, someone might have an answer. Would you kill a hundred people to save a million? Yeah. Would you kill a thousand to save a million?
0: Would where, you kill nine hundred and ninety nine thousand? So would like, you save one person?
1: Where where do you draw the lines, right. right? And what so the same thing happens. Where do we draw the lines on the light on the rights that we are taking away from people and we are infringing on? So even if I think about it from a business standpoint, so let's say I want to hire someone for marketing for my company.
0: Just to put a pin in this, you said you had to be out of, It's 1115, so okay. probably got five minutes. Okay. We're going to do another one of these, but yeah. finish so, that. So point. let's
1: say, let's say I want to hire a software developer to be more specific. Actually, this would make more sense. So let's say I want to hire a software developer for my, my app, someone to improve things with. And I'm sitting there in the interview and I know that I need to move fast and I want something built within the next two years. Right. It's like this big project, and I have two years. And she's a great, it's a female, and she's a fantastic software developer. She's awesome. I can't ask her if she plans on having kids. Right. It's like, listen, like, this is a small company. We're trying to grow fast. Speed is the
0: need. If it I choose the know, wrong person, I will go bankrupt. Yeah. This project I, I, will fail. Exactly. And then I'm going to be shit out of luck. And every other person that I hired that we can no longer sustain our business is going to be out of a job. Yeah.
1: So if I hire you and you plan on having a kid within the next two years and I, and you know, what I, mean? I can't afford that right now. I, I need to hire someone who I can work with and I can count on right now. Right. But I can't ask that question. Yeah. That's
0: messed up. And when you say that people are like, then they just pull a bunch of cards out and try and roast you for being sexist.
1: Yeah. like I had this, uh, I knew this one person and we got into this crazy argument and she, I was trying to show her that what she thinks, what she labels feminism is actually individualism. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we got into this conversation about why are there no female, less female CEOs? Mm hmm. Right and, and I was just saying, well, mo- most women, like if they choose to have kids, then they can't be a CEO. They, they can't have their cake and eat it too. It just doesn't make sense because right. you can't leave a company. Right. Right And women know that, you know, CEOs
0: can't kids, take mis- maternity like, leave and just assume that they, it, like, yeah, it's not and she's how it like,
1: well, why can't they? I'm like, so someone else would run the company for them while they're on mat leave she's like, yeah. I'm like, well, why wouldn't they just continue to run the company at that point then? Like, right. why would someone want to run a company and do all of the work? Because I don't know if people know this listening, but, you know, trying to run a company is much harder than having a wage job.
0: <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> like, like you are that.
1: constantly thinking about things. You're in constant competition with the rest of the world, especially now with the internet. Like, There's I'm always- There's a reason always, they get paid so much money. Yeah, I'm always thinking about the app and like, it's always in the back of my mind. And uh, And so if I couldn't, let's like if someone else wanted me to run it for them then they came back after two years after i put 40 60 hours a week in on something and then they're like they're like okay thanks
0: <laughs> yeah what if it takes a year to find a ceo like i read yeah. bob Iger's uh like memoir and basically it was two year period where he interviewed for two years to be the ceo of disney because it takes a shitload of time to make sure you have the right fit he's been yeah. ceo for like 16 years or something like that so clearly they found a good fit but it's you know elon musk said it well the amount you get paid is directly correlated to the size of the problems you solve. And finding people that solve the world's biggest problems, it's not an easy thing to find. And you have to make sure that they are fully invested in wanting to do that for a sustainable period of time, right? You don't want to turn over your CEO every year. And a lot of times it's, it's a lot of times understanding because I'm sure she didn't understand, right? It's like that, it's that perspective, right? If you try and argue your perspective, it's going to turn out very differently than if you say, well, are you aware... Like this is, this is what I'm aware of in terms of that situation. And a lot of times when you take the approach of being like having the good faith conversation to just be like, I want to make sure this person knows what I know. Cause I, I feel like if they knew what I know, they might not be as strict in that perspective. And I think that's part of it. It's just, once again, improved understanding allows for better conversations. And one thing that you said before, you talked about how, when we do the common good things, when we make laws for the common good, we shouldn't be doing that at the expense of the neg- the personal rights.
1: And it almost always does.
0: Well, that's I think this, you know, we don't, we don't have time to go into masks today, but that's a perfect example. Wear a mask to help others at the expense of forcing you, the individual to forfeit their rights to choose whether to cover their face with something. Like you just, you, you're right. It's, you can't have both. You put one in play, you remove something on the other side. Yeah. And the question then becomes, was that actually a good cost benefit choice? Is the benefit of making everyone wear masks worth worth the cost of reducing our personal freedom and potentially even we don't know the effects? Like, what if there's negative effects of personally wearing a mask? I'm not saying there is, but I'm not saying there isn't. But we don't have the right to just enroll everyone in a human experiment by law with zero informed consent and with zero understanding what the hell the effects are going to be.
1: Well, and zero instruction on how to even wear a mask properly. Yeah, that's, <laughs> um,
0: why don't we do a whole thing on masks at some point? Anyway, I want to respect your time because I know you got somewhere to be. I really appreciate, you know, we didn't even completely dig into what we had on paper, but I think what we talked about was significantly more important to set the stage for maybe future conversations. Yes, Because, you know, the goal with these critical conversations is they're important, but it's also from the standpoint of I hope that people can listen to these and Feel better equipped to have a set of tools where they can then embark on their own process. We are not here to tell people what to believe. I think we should do a good effort to try and give people a better understanding of what they might not know, which can allow them to have a better chance of sense making. Because it's a complete breakdown of sense making in our in our traditional institutions. And so personal responsibility to make sense of the world, to make sense of your lived experience, and then also integrate that with other people's lived experience is how we're going to come out of this on the other side without killing each other. We need to have better options for people to learn about this. So anyway, Jay, I really appreciate it. I, uh, I look forward to the next one we do and to everyone listening. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next week.
1: Thanks for having me. And I just want to say that responsibility is what you owe yourself. It's not a responsibility for other people. Mm, You owe yourself to being responsible for your life and what goes on in your mind. It is like that is the best way you can love yourself is to be responsible for yourself
0: great point talk to you later folks